0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, September 29th, 2021. I'm John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior Writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And Associate Editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Yesterday, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Defense Secretary testified before Congress... And uh, under oath, revealed that Joe Biden lied to the American people when he said that nobody told him that it was a bad idea to pull all the troops out of Afghanistan. Uh, Apparently, both men and others said, leave 2,500 men in Afghanistan, Biden, or forces in Afghanistan. Biden said no. Uh, he had told George Stephanopoulos that there had been no no countervailing opinion inside his administration. I don't know what the consequences of such a such a lie are. Uh, we are now at the position where it is morally better for the president to be considered senile <laughs> because he forgot that they said they were against it, or you know at least cognitively impaired that's a that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting twist in the garment uh, of American history let us assume that he is not uh, cognitively impaired w- what do we make of the lie
1: well we can't actually like you're, it's true we can't actually know it's a lie he might genuinely not know what people told him which is not comforting it's not exculpatory it's just The truth, it's possible, but it's also an indictment of his leadership. One of the more revealing things I thought that came out of this uh, um, testimony yesterday was from General Mark Milley, who acknowledged some reporting back in uh, earlier this year that in November of 2020, he had received a signed order from Donald Trump demanding the full withdrawal of U.S. troops before inauguration day, January 15th. And that squares with what we know Donald Trump was engaged in doing at the time. In August of 2020, there were about 8,500 American soldiers in Afghanistan, roughly the same number that he had inherited in 2017. And then they raced towards this drawdown. It was 5,000 by election day, and it was 2,500 by inauguration day. And then they intervened. They convinced him to back off this speedy withdrawal, keep it at 2,500, leave it there. Uh, he said, quote, after further discussions, the order was rescinded, unquote. Okay. <clears throat> that destroys a Biden administration talking point um, in which Joe Biden was compelled by previous uh, agreements of this administration to draw down on a timetable that they renegotiated. But they kind of allied that fact. Uh, it's just that it had to happen. There was no way to intervene. Couldn't be stopped. But it was stopped in the, under the previous administration, and the Pentagon had every opportunity and gave Joe Biden every opportunity, uh, reportedly, to back off this. Um, Politico has another piece, which confirms a Wash, uh, Wall Street Journal item from earlier this year, saying that when they were evacuating Bagram Air Base, uh, Pentagon paused a little bit, stopped, and let Joe Biden evaluate the situation, which was rapidly deteriorating, at which point Joe Biden did no re-evaluating. Um, So this uh, that to me is the more significant talking point, that this was all evitable, uh, contrary to the president's contentions.
2: Um, As far as to say, you know, as far as administration lies uh, go regarding uh, this withdrawal, I'm not sure that this is even the the worst one. Um, I think it was worse when Americans couldn't get to Kabul airport and were getting beaten and harassed on their way there. And you had people from the administration saying, we we, we don't see that happening, um, things of that nature. There's, there's been so much, I mean, aside from it just having, having, having been um, executed in such a disastrous way, um, there's been constant fog thrown up around everything that's happened every step of the way. And this is, and Biden... Uh, being contradicted by his generals on this is just one more example.
3: Well, and and to that point, I think when if you look at how the White House comms director responded to uh, a lot of people complaining that, well, doesn't this mean, you know, these generals are testifying under oath to Congress doesn't aren't don't you assume they're telling the truth, which means that Biden lied to the American people earlier. The comms director turns to weasel words and nitpicking, and says, oh, you you didn't really understand what he meant. He said the advice was split. And, you know, even Peter Baker at the New York Times had had enough. He's like, here's the transcript. He doesn't say that. What he says over and over again he was repeatedly pressed on this issue. He says, no one told me that we should keep a troop presence there. There's no way around it when you read the transcript and you look at the clip. So the idea that they are going to be it, it is a kind of gaslighting of the American public and the push
0: Finally,
2: starting to happen.
0: Okay, so in the end, does it matter? I mean, here's what, here's why it matters. It matters that the president, boldface lies, because it's bad that anybody boldface lies. It's bad, It's bad for our children to see it happen. It's bad for the country that important people prevaricate and tell untruths. Doesn't matter. The policy is the policy. Ah, uh, Millie and Austin under oath were compelled essentially to expose this untruth. Why should we care? Proof of the pudding is in the eating. Uh, it is for the American people to decide how bad what happened in Afghanistan was as a as an electoral matter, as a practical matter, as a matter for which they should blame or credit Biden and the Democratic Party that he he runs have we now moved to a point at which we now just expect politicians to lie and as a result of the fact that we expect them to lie they are permitted to lie it's part of the tools in their uh, in their uh, toolbox
3: okay here's the thing though with this particular case unlike i think with a lot of the covid prevarications on uh, both with the previous administration and the current one This had a direct and brutal body count. We lost 13 of our own soldiers and we drone struck a innocent family and killed children. And that is the part where I think just saying, oh, all politicians lie. They all cover their comms directors are going to cover for them. This is just the way things go. Well, I hope not. I hope that there's a, a little bit more horror about the fact that this lie actually did lead to a, a policy choice, a policy decision that went disastrously wrong and ended in the killing of our Marines and of innocent people.
1: Yeah. And I would contend that <clears throat> Christine, your verb tense is incorrect. It's not past tense. This exactly. This an ongoing active problem. This is day 30 as we record presently of Americans being stranded in Afghanistan. Now, if that doesn't matter, to the american public we're in way deeper trouble than we would be as just americans are just kind of you know ambivalent about politicians fudging the truth i mean that's a that's a crisis of confidence in uh, the american ethos that suggests a far deeper rot
0: i just think we are now in the third administration in a row in which you have Presidents who say things that they either know to be untrue or are so full of the notion of controlling the reality distortion field that they themselves believe the untruths that they speak. We have Obama saying, "If you want your, if you want to keep your doctor, you can keep your doctor." Uh, chosen as the lie of the year by Politifact, as I recall, uh, about about the about Obamacare. Uh, we have Trump. I don't know lying. What is it, 40,000 times during his presidency? Some, some in, a preposterous number of lies told during his campaign, presidency, and then presidential reelection bid. And we have Biden now saying, No, nobody told me, nobody ha- had a contrary or countervailing opinion. And um, this is part of the degeneration of the public space of the United States. I, I I don't know how else, which I'm is why we think should
2: care about it. I mean, it's a, yes. So the, yes, yeah, so the, the argument is that yes, we should care. Not you know, not, I mean, um, I just don't want to be a boy uh,
0: scout and sound like a naive, you know, of course this is this weird thing where it's like, Oh, all politicians lie and everybody lies and that. Da- and it's like, you know, actually until relatively recently lies like this were not, Presidents and the people who work for them twisted themselves into pretzels to make their spin, at the very least, conform with observable reality. To the extent that when Bill Clinton said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Ms. Lewinsky, he was clearly doing so because he was trying to make the realities. Of what happened between them, which is apparently no actual sex or the sexual act, as we commonly define it, took place between them. And he was manipulating language to the extent that he could have said something that was not a lie. That is how, and, of course, did that whole thing with it depends on what the meaning of is is. The intent... Was to deceive. The intent was a big lie, let's say. But even then, he didn't want to say no. He didn't want to break. That was a that was like a a a line that even Bill Clinton was unwilling to break. It it
2: it also made it's. I have to say, in a weird way, it also is partially what made political lying comic. Exactly, because they would have they would have to contort themselves. You know but all, all suffered for their art yes. Yeah, precisely. Yes.
1: <laughs> all of the examples you bring up, though, suggest profound political consequences for these politicians who are untruthful. Um, you know, Bill Clinton's political career obviously wasn't going to survive after you know his, his second term, but um, he did not help his running uh, his running mate who ran to replace him. In fact, his running mate ran away from him and lost the election. In 2013, the lie of the year that you can keep your doctor uh, was uh, succeeded. I think eight, nine months later, by a crushing Republican victory at the polls. Donald Trump did not win re-election because he was uh, such a consistently mendacious figure. Um, there are consequences as a result of this sort of thing, not just for mismanagement, but being untruthful. And there is, but there is a
3: shift, and I and I do have a lot of sympathy for for our friends. Uh, on the left and the right, who pointed out that the, the scale and scope of Trump's lies actually have uh, the, the, quant- the sheer quantity of them opened up this opportunity for future presidents. But now we're in the we've always been at war with East Asia moment, right? Where it's just literally he'll, people will say things that with the facts right next to them, I'm thinking of the Border Patrol story and now this story. I mean, it, it's, it's just so brazen. Well, so Trump,
0: the change that Trump initiated was the no it was the biggest inauguration ever when the photograph showed it wasn't and then he he commanded his forces to speak an observable untruth and not get off it and then create a kind of alternative factual timeline that then we saw in its fulfillment in its in its inglorious great fulfillment in the aftermath of the 2020 election when tens of millions of people believed things about the election that were not true that were proved to be untrue and by this point it no longer mattered whether they were proved untrue or not and two can play at that game The, the lie that is being told about the border police and the horse and the reins and the whip and all of that it no longer matters whether that lie is true or not, because it ge- all it did was give a certain number of people a talking point and a thing to believe and a thing that they don't have to acknowledge the truth or falsity of uh, anymore. And well, so it it's not matter. just so it has a ter- can have terrible practical political consequences, as you say, Noah. And yet, right. and yet, you're doing a certain number of people in your coalition a service by giving okay. them but, a, a, a narrative
3: not to mix my dystopian authors but like mm-hmm. that's political soma that's an argument for political soma right you're like giving the people the thing that will just keep them calm
1: and out of your hair right that's But angry. how many yeah but and and there is a, a disturbingly large audience for that but every indication we have suggests there's a much bigger audience that resents it profoundly but
0: um, we're talking about things that happen within a relatively narrow band of American public opinion. How many people in the country actually know about the horses and the border police and the, you know, probably not that many. Uh, it, it is a It is a highly politically motivated group of people. And I think the damage has already been done in the sense that people now believe that all politicians lie. And they don't think that – they actually don't think that like their politicians tell the truth and the other politicians lie. I mean a large mass of people. I don't actually think that's the case despite incredible efforts by partisans on both sides saying, no, no, we don't lie. They lie. We Maybe we lie
2: a little. They lie a lot. Uh, I, I don't think that that – Well, but that's the – so that's the, I mean, politicians do and have always accused their, the other party of lying, right? So, but, so the more that lies become shameless, um, the more everyone becomes hostage to hypocrisy. And that has a, a sort of generally depressing effect on our politics.
0: Right. But the shamelessness was the point, right? Let's say if we go back to Trump and Sean Spicer and the and the inauguration, and the size of the crowds thing. It was precisely the shamelessness that was the new thing. Uh, Spicer was willing to go in front of people and say something that was visibly, nakedly, and unimpeachably un, untrue, and then not be shaken off it by the disbelieving questions Posed to him over and over and over again about how on earth he could have said what he just said. And it was that moment at which you knew that you were dealing with a new kind of politics. Now, you're right, Noah, that Trump paid for that with his presidency. I mean, at least at the very least, you can't say that he lost because he was a liar, but he certainly didn't gain from being a liar. He did not, it did not help him being a liar everybody who voted for him and would have voted for him was not somehow convinced that they should vote for him or vote or continue to vote for him because of the lies he told they would have voted for him anyway
2: but it 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 helps trump that joe biden's a liar i mean yes if this keeps up it's another example of people will have forgotten you know the the sort of shocking effect of, of trump's lies the first time around
0: Right, and 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 just and justifiably so. In other words, if your choice is a liar over here and a liar over here,
2: that that's off the, the table. liar right.
0: neutral, right. right? The the problem of lying is neutralized.
2: Right. Um, and
0: I don't think we really knew this about Biden until lately, and it, we didn't know it uh, in the sense that uh, there's this, and then there's of course the. Thing that's not a lie, but ha- exactly, but has this similar kind of really? You're really going to argue that, which is that the three and a half trillion dollar bill doesn't cost anything.
3: Can I just interject to say we actually did know this about Biden, but it, the scope of his lies was tended to be self promotional lies about himself, his story, and his own accomplishments. He didn't lay claim to things that he had not done or or did not say as a senator, in quite the same way. It was very vain. His lies always had a sort of vanity to them that the American public overlooked, as they do with many politicians. This is different. I think this is taking it a little step
0: further. Well, I mean, so he told tall tales uh, about himself and his life and and, and stuff you know his grandma never said to him and his dad never said to him. You know, the minute that he said, somebody said to me, Joey... You knew that what was ever fought, whatever was going to follow that was a cock and bull story. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's not good. Like 20 years ago, that stuff was considered really bad. People, you know, people lost Senate races, House races, uh, candidacies uh because uh he did people he had to out... withdraw
3: from the right. presidential race because of those kinds of lies well in that
0: case it wasn't a lie in that case yeah he 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 literally appropriated somebody else's life right a fabulous life history a fabulism right uh in terms of uh playing soccer or football uh for a thousand years or whatever it was that neil Kinnock had said that he borrowed in 1988 But again, like there, there was a pettiness to that stuff. This is now like for all the marbles. Did was there a debate in the administration about what would happen if we pulled out of Afghanistan in this way? And Biden said no. Yeah, but also, yeah,
2: yeah, but also, you know, it's a very important lie because his case for for explaining the disaster of our withdrawal is that there's no way it could have been done. Without without this mess. Right. That's the defense. Um, and if and if the truth is, you have the uh, your joint chief, you have your generals coming at you and saying, no, there is a better way
1: we can do this. And he says, no, that's not true. That is a big lie. I mean, but these were all observable and all like, this is right in front of us. So it is as brazen. I mean, we should go back in the record on the New York Times in August reported that on January 22, Mark Milley recommended not 2,500, but 3,000 to 4,500 troops stay in Afghanistan. And on February 3rd, uh, Marine General Joe Dunford uh, in public said that Biden should abandon the May 1st deadline, which he subsequently did. Um, So all this is in, you know, the record. Which is why he was pressed so adamantly on it. I,
2: can I just go back to while we were comparing Trump and Biden? I just have a, 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 want to try out a theory that yesterday's proceedings um, made me think of. So, uh, Millie was asked why he didn't resign, uh, uh, given that uh, yeah. Biden Biden didn't take his yeah by Tom Cotton right. Yeah. Biden didn't uh, take his advice. Emily said, "Look, that's not I you don't that's not the way you you serve your country just because your advice isn't taken. You you know, uh the this the soldiers who are affected by this, they don't have the choice to resign because they don't like
1: the the policy." He said, it I'm, would be insubordination." Did he?
2: Yeah, f- fine. So, um what got worse though? Yeah, okay. Cuz
0: he said, "My dad arizu oh, right, UOJma, yeah. right. right? My dad not He couldn't have, resign. He didn't have a choice at Iwo Jima, right?" Yeah. In Iwo Jima, right? Okay, he does this me.
1: emotional manipulation very consistently when he's testifying before Congress, and it is so cloying and very annoying. Well, here's my theory: Um, had Trump
2: presided over the exact same withdrawal plan in the exact same way over the heads of his military, th- there would have been resignations. He would have well, that.
0: Look, what what Millie said is uh, offensively preposterous because. Of course, in the middle of a war where uh people have been drafted to fight the war and you're actually in the middle of a battle, uh you're you're not allowed to resign. Right. He is a career he is a career general uh in a policy making position, and the country and his the leadership has done something that he believes to be injurious to the country's interests uh he look he can resign or not resign it's actually none of my business and i don't care i actually don't care like whether it's you know whether his moral frame allows him or doesn't allow him to make such a decision but the idea that you yeah you you fulfill your duties uh and you and you the president is the person who makes the policy If you disagree with the policy and think it's injurious to the country, you're kind of obliged to resign because then you're complicit with something that's going to get the people under your command killed.
1: Right. Does he think that, that General Mattis was being insubordinate when he... Left right. his post and been protest in 2019. I, I highly doubt
2: right it. to Trump. But I I only care to the extent that I think this shows again that Biden is a, kind of presents a stealth danger. Just the way when he first got into office, I said that he's his, he's he can preside over an administration that is more left than a Bernie administration would be because everyone would be on sort of high alert if there was a self described socialist in the White House. You know, but with Biden, there's there's not the same level of alarm. So he could sort of get away with Bernie like policies. Um, Very similarly, Biden advances and, you know, oversees this, you know, Trump like uh, withdrawal plan. And no one really says boo until it's all fallen to pieces because it's Biden and he's not crazy. And so when you have a crazy person making crazy policy, people are more apt to say, wait a second, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to be a part of this. When you have the guy who's saying, I'm all about the norms, now let's do this crazy thing, people can talk themselves into it. I think
0: that's a very good point. You know what else is a very good point? Uh, The points that are made by David Bonson and our friends at the Bonson Group. This week of all weeks, you really want to be reading those two newsletters, the DCToday.com and DividendCafe.com because – uh, we are in the middle of uh, some significant stock market gyrations started a couple weeks ago, you know, stock market, you know, went down, I don't know, 2%, close 2% yesterday, the Dow um, and uh, things are happening all over the place. Questions about how the Fed is reacting to uh, a potential uh, economic slowdown due to the Delta variant showing up in, in numbers. Uh, China's the collapse of this Chinese real estate conglomerate um, various other things uh, we are we have measures in the budget reconciliation bill that could entirely change the face of American investing and banking if they go if they if they become law so you got to read these things. Keep up on them so you know what is going on and what you might want to do with your money. Go to DividendCafe.com. Subscribe to David Bonson's two newsletters. Dividend Cafe comes out weekly. The DC Today comes out daily around 6 p.m. David runs a $3 billion bi-coastal financial management and services firm. Uh, and uh, this is some of the best writing and analysis you'll see on all of these matters. So that's what you get from our friends at the Bonson Group, the antidote to the intellectual spaghetti of the financial services and management business. Abe, uh, we got a pretty great letter yesterday from a listener, and I thought maybe you could read it and we could could talk about it.
2: So we got this uh, very interesting letter from a listener and subscriber named Ethan. And it reads, Dear Commentary, thank you for your insightful episode on the alarming spike in violence in the United States since the start of the coronavirus pandemic. As always, the discussion between John A. Christine, and Noah is an intellectual and conservative lifeline in a liberal world gone bonkers. Unfortunately, the spike in violence isn't the only concerning 2020 statistic for which there have been portentous headlines. For example, despite an estimated 13.2% decline in miles traveled by vehicle, In a year where there were fewer drivers on the road, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration found that there was a 7.2% increase in motor vehicle fatalities since 2019, the highest rate in over a decade. Contributing to these horrific statistics were impaired driving, speeding, and not wearing a seatbelt. But it's not just the fatalities. A general disrespect toward other people is in high fashion. The Wall Street Journal ran an interesting piece today on restaurants finally challenging the adage that the customer's always right, following a long spade of rude and derisive behavior toward their employees. The rise in abuse toward people, not only in the food industry, but also airline staff, transportation workers, and public facing authority figures, i.e. police, is well documented. Taken together, I wonder whether the rise in violence you discussed in yesterday's episode is just one head in the Hydra. Are there more criminals on the streets Thanks to progressive policies? Absolutely. But is there also a general dereliction of our humanity and goodwill since the beginning of the pandemic? I wonder. What happens after a year of, one, being conditioned by our public officials to view all other people as a threat, two, a year of masking where we literally lose the ability to see each other fully, especially so given that the most informative behavioral cues come from our facial expressions, And three, an ascendant nihilism that seeks to burn down the system because everything is racist slash sexist slash terrible. What is left then but a world in which crime doesn't really matter, threats to other people don't really matter, and any behavior is seen as excusable? Am I just freaking out? I would love to hear your thoughts and whether you think we are witnessing a moral unraveling akin to the social unraveling that you have all so diligently discussed and written about. Christine?
3: I think he's right. I mean, the 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 continuum he's he's proposing here we've all seen it in snippets of stories, right? The airline rage in particular has made the news multiple times. I I sent you all a, a piece just today about uh, how nurses um, and healthcare workers in uh, in Branson, Missouri, now are being issued panic buttons because they have people who become so enraged when they're being treated at the at this medical center that the that threaten physically threaten the people who are treating them. I think there's there's a continuum here with the way that we have people who become, you know, digital vigilantes with their cell phones sort of seeking out offenders against whatever the, you know, cause du jour is. We we see those those pop up now weekly. Um, And they're often never as egregious as they're made out to be and people lose their jobs and livelihoods over them. So I I think there's something there. There's something there about the hair trigger response, the emotional hair trigger anger response that people have in daily public life. And I, I think the most important point he makes is that, that it's often directed at people who are representative of an institution, whether that's law enforcement, whether that's uh, medical professionals, whether that's local or, or state government. So there, that, and, and we see this as well, I should add, with threats against people who work in the voting and election system, right? We saw that during the last election. So there's definitely a there there. I think it's very disturbing. I don't know what the answer to it is, but I think he's on to something with that.
2: I think also, I mean, he doesn't exactly get at this, but I think it's the case of, we're also everyone's walking around now, kind of primed for political battle. you know uh, I mean I mean ordinary people you know are sort of waiting to 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 find out that the person next to them or across from them is uh, disagrees with their policies so they can dismiss them or blow up at them or whatever. There's a lot of that um, that's 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 sort of you know sh- shooting through the whole experience as well. I think
0: last summer at the nadir of the sort of lockdown culture, uh, I noticed that it seemed to me that something had been let loose in people, that people, particularly as we were all behind masks and everything, people uh, felt bizarrely free to become very directly confrontational. I'm talking about my experience uh, on the streets of Manhattan, on the Upper West Side, in stores and things like that. Uh, people would uh, say things to each other that I'm not sure anyone they would ever have said before about, you know, put your mask up over your nose. It doesn't even matter what it was. It was There was a kind of spoiling for a fight that... Um, civilized people are conditioned against for the course of their entire lives. And there was something about the combination of this lack of trust or the distrust that had been sown by the idea that anybody could make you sick combined with the high level of social mistrust that was encouraged by the George Floyd riots and various other things. And people were just, it was like, and id people's ids were let loose and i i think just as we constantly talk about how the uh, the virus has this weird regional variant effect like we were hit hardest earliest and we dealt with a lot of this kind of social rage early in the sorts of things i'm talking about and and it spread elsewhere and it and and this thing, and I have to say, on the one hand, I sort of understand people get on a plane, and some, and they're drunk. And some uh, flight attendant says, you got to pull your mask up. And they're already drunk. And who is this person? And they're uncomfortable. They're sitting in a middle seat, and it's hot, and nothing's happening, and they've had to go through all this stuff at the airport. And, you know, nobody likes an officious person being officious and telling them what to do. But this is where the attacks on the institutions thing comes in. None of those people is responsible for the policies that they are being obliged by custom, by their job, and by law to oversee. And people have lost the thread in the notion that this flight attendant or this host at an Italian restaurant on the Upper West Side or something, isn't responsible for the laws changing. And abusing them does no good and in fact probably has exactly the opposite intended consequence, which is to harden the idea that people are irresponsible and need to be controlled
3: and contained in this way. But but it's misdirected anger, right, because particularly during the pandemic, the people who were making those rules and many of whom were themselves not following them, there was no recourse to direct your energy and anger and and questions at them. There was no responsible response from lawmakers who simply used emergency powers to exercise Uh, control over environments that never would have been voted on democratically by citizens. And that just kept going. It's still going. Look, we all have to wear masks here in D.C. And if we walk in a building, it continues. And I think that also people people's anger is not justifiable when, you know, beating up a hostess at a restaurant because she tells you you've got to show your vaccination card because that's the city law. That's ridiculous. But but it's, it's an expression of a broader sense that there's no accountability on the part of the people who do make the rules.
2: It's like Are people it's just to say it's like when you're, you know, on the phone with customer service from a like a like a utility company and you know you're taking it out on the wrong person. But you know, I I would define the the most peaceful uh, defy the most peaceful monk not to lose his cool after right. a certain you know point.
0: Right. And to be fair, that's part of the job of customer service. I mean, we have customer service here. You have to kind of absorb the blows and frustrations of people who are your customers, because something's gone wrong and they don't know how to make it right, and and uh, or they're looking for some kind of out and they they don't have it. That's kind of not really what's what goes on in these cases. People uh, having rages in emergency rooms. Granted, there's nothing more frustrating than waiting in an emergency room, but you know that is not normal behavior. Like that is not that's that's the whole point is. Are we moving into a new normal? Noah, you had uh, something you want to say.
1: Yeah, just that this isn't, you know, this didn't happen overnight in 2020. Um, People have been progressively more deputized into policing their neighbors uh, for the better part of a decade. I'm thinking back into uh, around 2013, 2014. um, There was, for example, in California, some efforts to enlist the citizenry in quote, drought shaming. So anybody who's misusing water amid a water crisis, you're obliged to publicize their sordid behavior and shame them into compliance. Palm Beach had something similar a crime prevention effort asking you to, you know, uh, check on your neighbors, knock on their door, make sure they're okay mentally and physically. And if they have guns, maybe you should report that to the police. That's the idea behind red flag laws. Um, Just about everybody who uses social media has... Remembers a time when, if you were a young mother posting a picture of you breastfeeding, um, that was reported. That was reported to social media sites and wiped off the the internet. And we're talking about this is before the coddling of the American mind. This is before you know all this. The, these uh, conditions came, you know, became something much more menacing. It was all sort of you know just good good social hygiene. Um, when what it was is in, is is guiding the public into a more communitarian spirit. Uh, which manifests in outright bolshevism <laughs> in a lot of ways
0: so you're but then noah your your case is kind of that the that this decayed social fabric uh there's some justification to the anger that people are experiencing uh, even if their expression of it is out of bounds out of control, wrongheaded that that it is a real world response to a set of uh, uh, of conditions that uh you know people should have been much more prudent i guess christine also making this point should have been much more prudent about imposing on everybody
1: well only if you think public morozov was you know justified <laughs> public <I> morozov
0: <laughs> we should explain public morozov is a was a uh was a kid apocryphal in, uh, apocryphal kid in uh, in the early uh, soviet union who reported his who according to the legend reported his parents for uh anti collectivist activity and was then lynched by his parents
1: his parents were killed by the state and he was No and
0: and then era. he was and then no he was lynched no you got the public morozov was lynched by the neighbors Uh, according to and became a became a martyr to collectivism because he had done the right thing according to soviet propaganda had told on his parents his parents had been punished and then he was murdered for his fealty to the state thus giving stalin the permission to go and liquidate tens of millions of people for their refusal to go along with you know his his policies um yeah well no, what. all I'm saying is that uh, the the letter uh, that 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 Abe read uh, points out that our social fabric uh, is decaying and that the signs are all over the place. As 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 he says, uh, car traffic down, car accidents up. You know, fifteen percent fewer cars on the road, twenty percent more accidents. That's a weird stat. It does suggest that people are behaving in reckless and lawless fashion in a way that 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 is kind of, you know, bizarre and beyond the bounds of of normal human activity. And I, this is yeah.
2: I think his point about masks is very important too. Uh yeah. you know, when, when people say, "Well, what's the big deal? You just wear a mask." The big deal is that if everyone's wearing a mask, we live on a different planet suddenly. This is well, this it's not is just not just that, right? People... And 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 yeah. so we're, we're we've been now conducting this, you know, year and a half more than a year and a half long experiment in a question that could never have you could never have had an experiment like this before, which is, can socialization be unlearned on a mass scale? Right, and that's that's a very dangerous proposition.
0: I'll give you an, I'll give you an example. So, uh, someone with a small child, uh, person with small child, the child is crying or pitching a fit in a supermarket or in a store or something like that. Um, People react. So there are two kinds of reactions. Some people look at it, roll their eyes, or you know, make a kind of disgusted face. And if you are that parent, you feel ashamed, you feel bad, and and it enrages you because you're like, there, but for the grace of God, go you, if you've ever had kids, and you 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 seek to judge me and my kids. And then there are other people, and the other people look and they smile in a kindly fashion and make eye contact with you as if to say, I'm so sorry. I know what this is like. We've all been there to hang in there. Without the With the mask on, all you got is the eyes. And that's a Rorschach test. The eyes cannot, despite literature telling you so-and-so has kindly eyes, so-and-so has harsh eyes, the eyes are what you, you bring you bring to the eye expression what you want. If you are feeling exceptionally haggard because your kid is pitching a fit in the store, you are going to see hostility in those eyes, and it is going to fill you with rage. And then you might start yelling back at, at someone, and then something that was never intended happens, which is a confrontation. Other people get involved and implicated and it's a terrible. And that's just one tiny example among millions of interactions every day that everybody has, where they cannot read the expressions. It is as though we are all, uh, you know, we we all find ourselves in the position that you read, you know, Temple Grandin or people who have written about about being. On the autism spectrum, who say they have an inability to read facial expressions and cues, and that they are constantly mistaking things for other things, and that this is the particular disability that that autistic people or people on the autism spectrum have to deal with. And it's like all of us ended up in that place and misunderstand people all the time simply because that's what life is like. And it's a very, very sad thing um, okay let me talk to you about Bambi because when running a business HR issues can kill you wrongful termination suits minimum wage requirements labor regulations Bambi spelled B-A-M-B-E was created specifically for small business to give you a dedicated HR manager craft HR policy and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month as opposed to an average of $70,000 a year for an HR manager salary so with Bambi, you can change your from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. That dedicated HR manager from Bambi, available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding to terminations, they customize policies to fit your business. Help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just $99 a month, month-to-month. No hidden fees. Cancel anytime. Let Bambi help. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time in HR compliance. Get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash commentary right now to schedule that audit. That's b a m b e e dot com slash commentary spelled bam to the b e e dot com slash commentary. Um, so uh, we're now in day I don't know hour seventy two or whatever it is of the uh, the uh, unknowable future regarding both this hard trillion dollar hard infrastructure bill that has already passed the Senate and the. Three and a half trillion dollar reconciliation bill that is now uh, in jeopardy in the ha- in the Senate and the House. Uh, Biden canceled his trip today to Chicago. I don't know what he was doing there, uh, and uh, he is now ha- apparently having spent three hours trying to browbeat uh, the two senators who are holding the line against the three and a half trillion dollar bill, Joe Manchin and. Uh oh, Kirsten Cinema. <laughs> I think it's Kirsten. I actually I'm meant ba- to look that up. I'm back Sorry, to not Senator remembering Cinema. after. Yes. Um,
1: uh, and well, no, I mean, you should add not according to Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin said they just talked about you know their visions yeah. for the future. Yeah. So they spent three Joe <laughs> Biden browbeating anyone. That's part no. Of okay. Their, so they sat opinion. around
0: talking about their visions for the future for three hours, and nothing changed. Uh, Manchin and Cinema are not going to vote for this bill. It's not going to happen. Um, and so uh, we are in the position of the question of whether or not progressives in the House are going to kill the hard infrastructure bill that has massive support in order to punish the people who don't want the $3.5 trillion bill. And I, I can't see the logic in that no you know not accepting as all politics tells you that half a loaf is better than none but um that's where we are
3: but but remember that and we've talked about this before and i think noah's point about the about this all being about the number figure remains true and i think events continue to prove that uh, as well they already are at half a loaf john they in their minds they're at half a loaf They've already compromised. Uh,
0: by, by which you mean that what they want is six trillion dollars, and they and believe that three and, three and a half trillion sure. is as low as you can possibly go. Three and a half trillion dollars in new spending on top of the how much in new spending did we have from? It doesn't COVID? matter because there's zero Almost, cost; it's all paid right. for. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, the real question here is. Uh, can Nancy Pelosi pull some kind of a rabbit out of her hat and get both voted on? Get the progressives either to accept that the soft bill has to be tabled for a while or uh, can she somehow pull off some miracle where the moderates in the House vote for the $3.5 trillion bill? Which, by the way, interestingly enough, they can vote for it or not vote for it. It's going down in the Senate. Uh, maybe it puts a little more pressure on Mansion and Cinema if the House passes the bill and then it's sitting there and they. It literally is comes down to them to kill it. But I don't remember that that really was much of a spur against John McCain uh, killing the uh, Obamacare repeal uh, when he finally killed the Obamacare repeal. So uh, this seems. Crazy to me, but then I'm I'm not I'm not one of these people. Like, but I mean, politics is the art of the possible, and a trillion dollars in new spending is you know once would have seemed like an unimaginably large amount of new spending. Just ten years ago, Obamacare was the largest single bill in American history, and the stimulus was the largest single bill in America. the stimulus in 2009 was the largest single bill in American history it was like 920 billion dollars. It's ten years later. We're talking about a trillion like it's nothing. Uh, you know, this is again moving the window, open, moving the Overton window, or sort of open, you know, changing all the, all the rules and creating a new
2: normal. Unless it doesn't pass, then it's not. I mean, right. the, the objection was to the, to the amount. So,
0: yeah. Uh, Christine, uh, our friends at the Tikva Fund have an important message for everybody.
3: They do, and I wanted to once again talk to you about Tikva Online Academy and its fall courses for 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th graders. Listeners of this podcast know that Jews should love America, that Israel is a heroic nation, and that Jewish history is exceptional. But how do we share those ideas and values with the young people in our lives? That's where Tikva Online Academy can help, as a new take on Hebrew school that invites your children, grandchildren, or students to explore these propositions in depth and at a high level. Tikva seminar-style classes meet live over Zoom on weeknights and Sundays for spirited discussion with master teachers and small groups of outstanding students. I'm very excited to be teaching a course on ethics of social media for middle schoolers, but there are many other exciting classes, including Jewish Ideas and the American Story, Zionism and Israel's Founding Debates, Judaism, Science, and Technology, Introduction to American Politics, Epic Speeches of the Cold War, Philosophy, Politics, and the Hebrew Bible, and many more. In unique five-week seminars covering Jewish thought, Zionist history, American politics, and Western civilization. To join Tikva Online Academy's community of ideas, go to tikvafund.org/academy. That's tikva t-i-k-v-a-h fund.org/academy to browse all the fall offerings and to apply today. Use promo code COMMENTARY at checkout to save $50 on your child's first course. Again, that's tikvafund.org slash academy and use promo code COMMENTARY at checkout to save $50. Applications are due September 30th. So inspire the middle and high schoolers in your life to Jewish excellence with Tikvah Online Academy.
0: Thank you. Um, just to continue the discussion, uh, Mike Allen's uh, Axios AM newsletter this morning uh, it's it's headline is Biden won't beg. And here's what he says. President Biden has kept a public distance from hill fights that will help define his legacy based on confidence. The Democrats will ultimately be with him despite bucking and belly aching. He's not going to beg, said an official with firsthand knowledge of the president's mindset. His view is you're Democrats and you're with the president or you're not the hardball is driven by several factors, according to people who have discussed the negotiations with Biden. One, he's from a generation of politicians for whom party loyalty is automatic. Two, he's confident Speaker Pelosi will deliver. Three, he believes he'll ultimately get a big win. Um, He's not going to beg. Okay, you know, I kind of think he's got to beg, but I could be wrong. Uh, He's not going to beg, but he's got to go to people and say, this is a hinge moment. Ultimately, I need a big w- You need me to have a big win. And if I don't have a big win, I'm going down. So on my knees, I'm begging you. Now, he may have said this to Mansion Cinema in some fashion or other. Uh, and they're not going to do it. So then he's got to do it with the progressives. He's, I
2: guess he's leaving Nancy Pelosi to do it with the progressives. But- Here's the trouble. Here's the challenge with making that argument to the progressives. They don't think they need him to have a big win. Their argument all along has been, this is what happens when you don't vote in the radical, right? Things don't get done. Agendas end up getting stalled. I don't want to have him get a bit. win. I want to punish the party for doing this to us again.
1: But that might be their internal monologue. But outwardly, what they're saying is... We're the people keeping Joe Biden on track. We're the people policing Joe Biden, making sure he isn't perverted by the, uh, you know, uh, influences around him that are more capitulatory and craven. Uh, That's what at least they they say outright, whether they believe it or not. Who knows?
3: Well, and we know we know from the, the progressive mantra, at least from some of its leading uh, uh, spokespeople in in the House, people like AOC, Tulsi, Bill Omar, Cory Bush, they are they are very very outspoken about compromise being bad. Compromise is what they're actively, constantly trying to avoid. Even though, as you say, John, this is actually how the system was designed to work. They don't think that's legitimate, and they look- say that often. It would be
1: really good for Joe Biden's presidency if this $3 trillion, $3.5 point five trillion dollar deal fails. It would be great for Joe Biden. That, he, the people who he would secure his his uh, his presidency more if that fails, especially if hard infrastructure passes, because that's objectively popular. Then, then this monstrosity. So, I mean, he's I, you know he, he, they could be helping him significantly.
0: There's, a, there's an oddity here uh, that is introduced by Biden's age. I mean, I think we genuinely don't know whether he can run again. We just we just don't know. I mean, no one has ever no one ever ran for president at the age that he ran for president and he will be 81 or something like that in 2024, approaching 82. Uh I know that uh, Chuck Grassley and Diane Feinstein apparently are presuming they are running for Senate again and she's presuming 90 they're and immortal? he's 88. What? Right. Um So we don't know that he can run again, in which case this is it. And so you think that it would help his presidency, but he may look at this and say, what I have is four years to be transformative. I said I was going to be in as a bridge. I said I was coming in to return America to normalcy and then the country could proceed onward in a normal fashion after my presidency was over. But then I've been handed this possibility with these 50 Senate seats of doing something transformative, I can go out on a, I can go, I can get this done. And then Democrats will lose in in November of 2022. And I will say, I did my part. We brought in New Deal 2. We spent on COVID. We did the hard infrastructure bill. I'm not running again. You know, Zygesund to all of you. I, You know, I'm in the history books, give me an ice cream cone, I'm riding off into the sunset. Um, or he can't run again, the bill fails, Democrats are in disarray, progressives hate him, they lose in 2022 anyway, and he goes down as sort of like, I don't even know what, as a kind of a completely negligible political figure in American history. Uh, whose entire reason for being was simply to get the other guy out of office. So you can see the temptation. I mean, no, I, I can see why he would want, he would want the the big bill.
1: It is perhaps a failure of imagination on my part, but I do not believe Joe Biden thinks he cannot run in 2024. And I do not believe that his party would be amenable into allowing him to step off the stage. Um, People who have that kind of power don't relinquish it uh, freely very often. And if he were to just walk away, leaving Kamala Harris presumably to be, you know, his heir apparent, um, it would create chaos within the party that would reduce their electoral viability. And that's something every political consultant is is aware of with a, a sense of American political post-war history. It just doesn't seem to me like anybody's thinking this is this is all we got from this presidency. Look, people watch
0: The Crown, right? People watch the first season of The Crown. The first season of The Crown showed Winston Churchill at eighty-two or eighty-three in that final, in that final prime ministerial effort uh, uh, around the time of Elizabeth's, you know, uh, rise uh, to, to to the to the monarch, you know, to the to the head of the monarchy. Um, uh, that is the easiest gimme on earth, is to say he's done he's done for can't remember anything he's querulous is this a whole year you know i mean i don't know whether he thinks or he doesn't think he can run again um uh, that is a fantastically hard pull is if all they insane. can
1: string three if he can string three sentences together they're going to prop him up on a horse otherwise it's an open it's right. an open seat without an incumbent yeah uh, it, it, it would be a struggle For Democrats, just given the history.
0: I'm saying we don't know that he can do it. We literally don't know. I mean, there are people he is. People work for him who have told him not to answer questions because they they are frightened. And all those people's jobs
1: depend on him being there.
0: I look said. Look, why do you think Chuck Grassley is running again? Because his staff wants him to run again because then they have to get new jobs. And he's and he's an old man and thinks he can do it and whatever like. This happened with Strom Thurmond, too. Yeah, of course they want him. Doesn't mean he can do it and doesn't mean that, you know, there isn't a doctor or somebody is going to quietly leak that he's that he's getting non-compos mentis or something like that. I'm just saying that you can see why the swing for the fences is particularly attractive for somebody whose second possible second term is more of a question than any president has ever been or certainly in our lifetime, than any presidents has, has ever been. Let me, uh, let me just uh, finish up here by talking to you about Nutrafol. Um, when it comes to thinning hair, you no longer have to choose between natural remedies and those that work. There's a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness without drugs or prescriptions. Did you know that there are five root causes of thinning hair? Nutrafol is the hair supplement that goes beyond genetics to target stress, hormones, nutrition, metabolism, and environmental factors that may be affecting your hair. Nutrafol is clinically shown to improve hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage without compromise. 21 potent natural ingredients support better sleep, less stress, sex drive, In a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three and six months. Nutrafol is trusted and recommended by more than 1,500 top doctors, so you can grow thicker, healthier hair. And support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering promo code commentary to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code commentary so we uh we we got to go christine i think you wanted to uh, commemorate something tonight is the uh famous uh congressional softball game between democrats and republicans and four years ago in the run-up to the game something terrible happened
3: yes a a uh, very dedicated follower of bernie sanders uh went and shot up a bunch of republicans um and it it, it it was extraordinary that no one was killed. Steve Scalise was very seriously injured, had a long recovery from that. And it's one of those events in in one of those political attacks, um, which was very partisan in its motivation that has been completely memory hold uh, by a lot of the mainstream media and by a lot of others. And I just, I bring it up to say that that this, we were talking earlier about anger and and how people's displaced anger can, can represent. This was an example of someone being angry enough at Republicans to pick up a gun and try to kill them. And so that is unfortunately an impulse that we see. It it happens on both sides of the aisle, obviously. But I think it's important to remember that that's possible because I think we lose track of these discussions when we assume that all the violence is, you know, from right wing white supremacists or only from, you know, Antifa. This is unfortunately um, uh, a real danger. And uh, I'm very glad that everyone survived that. but when we talk about bipartisanship, that was a pretty clear example of something that actually as an institution, Congress does well. This game is actually a lot of fun. People go and I think they're having it at Nationals Park this year. It's a great thing. But let's not forget that that's actually something that's still under attack by people on both sides of the aisle. So okay. it's not a very happy thought. It's crushingly morose.
0: Crushing mor- <laughs> crushing morosity ends the podcast yet again. We'll be back tomorrow for A, Christina, No. I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.